Welcome to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast, a podcast all about leadership, change, and personal growth. The goal? To help you lead like never before in your church or in your business. And now, your host, Carrie Newhoff. Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 75 of the podcast. My name is Carrie Newhoff. I hope our time together today helps you lead like never before. And I know, I love hearing from you. I absolutely love hearing from you. And I know we have a ton of young leaders listening to this podcast. Why? Because you talk to me regularly on social media, in the comments, on my blog, and in some of the email I get. And I just want to say thank you for that. And, you know, one of the big questions in business, and it's a question in church leadership, is basically, what are some of the generational differences that are out there? Now, last week in episode 74, Brad Lominick, Jeff Surratt, and I talked about that a little bit from our experience. Way back on episode 69, to kick off this year, I sat down with Hayden Shaw. That turned out to be a wildly popular episode. So if you haven't listened to that, listen in. But today, I'm going to bring you Jonathan Pearson. And Jonathan is a millennial who's written about millennials and actually has a lot of leadership responsibility at the age of 29. He's campus pastor for a large church and leads a campus of about 1,400 people. So like, that's a lot of responsibility. And uh, Jonathan's uh, my guest today. I think you're really going to enjoy that. And hey, for the record, I know if you're a regular listener and you're a subscriber, you know this, but I'm a big fan of millennials. I really do. We have a lot of them at Connexus Church where I serve. Obviously, my kids fit into that uh, bracket. And I know a lot of people my age kind of complain a lot about millennials. I just, you know, there are a few tension points for sure. But I mean, there's tension points with Gen Xers, which is what I am, and with baby boomers and with with every generation. So I'm a fan, but Jonathan gives us some great insight today on what it's like to be a millennial and and has some honest conversation about his generation and maybe what, uh, in his view, millennials could do better. So I hope you're really going to enjoy this and uh, I hope it's going to help you lead like never before. And if you are a millennial leader or any kind of leader, you know that one of the greatest challenges for leadership is isolation. Um, That maybe in your community, you've got nobody who really understands sort of the kind of challenges that you face. Or even if you're part of a denomination, you're part of a denomination where you've got lots of churches in your region, but none of them are really trying to do ministry your way. Or you try to have a conversation with people, but maybe they're a little more traditional because I know a lot of progressive leaders, uh, a lot of you who listen to this podcast are progressive leaders, and you feel isolated or alone. And I have had that challenge over the last 20 years. In fact, that's one of the reasons I started this podcast was because I was having conversations that really connected with me. And I thought, hey, it would be great to actually have everybody like hear them. But sometimes it's fun just to have your own conversation. And that's why if you haven't yet registered for Rethink Leadership, you need to do it today. It's a conference that I'm hosting along with Brad Lominick and with John Acuff and Reggie Joyner. We've got Andy Stanley there. We've got Leonce Crump, Kara Powell, and a number of other leaders. Jeff Henderson is going to be there. It is space limited. And until Thursday, the 18th, you can still get the best rates. So if you haven't yet registered, go to rethinkleadership.com and make sure you register today. It's a conference that's happening April 27th through 29th at the John Maxwell Leadership Center in Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, We have a cap on registration, and like I say, it's going to be way more intimate than most big conferences. I mean, usually Andy Stanley speaks to big rooms. He's going to speak to a much smaller room, and there'll be lots of time to interact with um, some of the speakers and with me and with some of the other people who are going to be there. You're going to have incredible table hosts who often speak at other conferences. They're just going to host you, and you're going to make some friends, you're going to connect, you're going to have a chance to process real leadership issues and get better as a leader. And so if you haven't yet registered for Rethink Leadership, do so today by going to rethinkleadership.com. And if you've got team from your church that's going to the Orange Conference, we're syncing up with Orange Conference. So your ticket to Rethink Leadership gets you into a couple of evening sessions at Orange Conference and then all day Friday so you can sync up with your team. Or maybe your team hasn't heard about Orange Conference and like you want to register there too. So you can do that. Anyway, it's a great team thing. Rethink Leadership is just for senior leaders because we know that sometimes we have different conversations that We kind of just need someone to understand. So um, I hope that if you haven't registered, you do that today. And thanks so much for Rethink Leadership for being our sponsor for this episode. And now let's jump in 
to my conversation with Jonathan Pearson. And just a reminder, if you want anything that Jonathan and I talk about, you can go to the show notes, just kerryneuhoff.com slash episode 75, and you'll find everything there. Here's my conversation with Jonathan. Well, Jonathan Pearson is my guest. Jonathan, welcome to the podcast. Glad you're here. Thank you so much. Glad to be here. Yeah, that's cool. You do your own podcast, and so now, now you're a guest. I do, I do. Um, not my not not my first rodeo, but first time on your podcast. So I appreciate that. <laughs> well, that's great. What's your podcast called? Just so listen. Uh, it's called the Next Up Podcast. It's a podcast for young leaders. Just me and a friend of mine kind of sit down and talk very uh, organically about leadership and young leadership specifically. That's great. Well, I know we have a growing number of young leaders. Uh, lots of whom maybe are in student ministry or they're bivocational right now. They're in kids ministry, they're associate, they're executive, they're campus pastors. I hear from you all the time. And I thought it'd be really fun to have uh, Jonathan on the podcast and just talk millennials, not just for millennials, but for all of us who aren't millennials. Um, You know, you guys, you're not in school anymore. You know, you've been in the workforce for a decade. Uh, if, If you look at the demographic breakdown, most people in 2016 are using roughly 18 to 35 categories can be a little bit different. So, I mean, Mm -hmm. at this point, you know, kids, you know, house, SUV, minivan, the whole deal, like, you know, a lot of people in the workforce. And so I'm really glad to have you on the show. So give our listeners a little bit of a background as to who you are and what you do. Well, I I guess the the short version is I'm a husband, a dad, and a pastor. Um, You know, like a lot of people received the uh, kind of raised in church, received the call to ministry to full-time ministry at a a pretty young age. And so just kind of jumped in with both feet, you know, started doing a little bit of this, a little bit of that. And actually right out of college, met my wife in college, um, right out of college, I went to seminary for a little while, didn't quite finish. Um, okay. so, so I'm a seminary dropout, I'll admit it. Um, maybe one day. You got other people listening now who wish they were seminary dropouts, but they actually finished. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, and, and that was part of my thing. Those loans started to pile up. Um, but anyway, uh, and so my wife and I, we moved to a very, very small town in South Carolina um, called Norway, South Carolina, which most people mm-hmm. think of Norway, and they think it's a little more exciting than that was. Um, mm-hmm. So we were there about a year and a half and just kind of felt a call to go uh, to a uh, um, church that I felt like was doing a lot of things right. So we, uh, we, we actually just quit our jobs completely without any wow. paycheck or anything and said, you know, I'm here. We're, we're gonna be, I'm going to be full time here. And thankfully, God was faithful and they were faithful. So um, it just kind of started doing whatever they'd let me do. And uh, so now I'm the, uh, the campus pastor, get to speak some, get to work with an organization we do called The Sticks, which is for small towns, uh, leaders in small towns, yeah. and um, do this kind of this millennial thing because I am one and because I think uh, we have a great future ahead of us if we're willing to, uh, to take the mantle like we should. Hmm. And you actually came to where you are now without having promise of a church job, right? You started as a volunteer. Is that right? I, I did. I, I, yeah. I had a church. I had a church job, um, and I just kind of one day God told me to go. I remember reading the story of Abraham, and God told me to go, and um, He had given me my destination, but didn't tell me how how, how I was going to get there. Um, and so we did what little bit of savings we had in our two years of marriage. We uh, cashed them in and we uh, we went. So uh, so it was it, it was a good ride. Luckily, I have a great wife who's willing to, to do stuff like that. And how many years ago was that, Jonathan? It's been about six years ago. Wow. So you were like early 20s, mid 20s. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it was 22, 23. Yeah, it's early 20s. Wow. So, I, yeah, I didn't even tell anybody that that's what I was doing because I didn't want them to think I was I, I was a nut. <laughs> so so you did that and here you are and your church is a good size too specifically for a small town so your campus pastor at a church of how many about 1400 we're a city yeah. of about 15,000 in city limits and so um, you know a, a larger county land area wise but uh, but yeah I mean we do some great things we're um, multi-ethnic we're about uh, 50% white 50% black uh, even a few um, Hispanic and which is which is basically what our uh, area is made up of, and wow. so it's it's a great place to be. I remember the first time we walked in, I looked at my wife, and there was a, there was a, a black person sitting to my left and a, and a white person sitting to her right, and I looked at her and I thought, this is. I told her, I said, this this is awesome. This we, we've made the right decision. Yeah, and that's in South Carolina too. It is. It is. What's your church's website? Just so we know, uh, it's mycornerstone.me. dot me. There's. Gotcha. There's a million cornerstone churches out there. So the main, really? It's hard to come by. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, Jonathan, you've you've made it a passion of yours, a hobby of yours to speak, write, and talk to millennial leaders. Uh, and what's doubly interesting, of course, is that you are one. You're not somebody my age talking about millennials, um, right. but you are a millennial. So what stereotypes about millennials are true and which are not? 
Start us there. Well, you know, like like any stereotype, stereotypes usually come for a reason. Um, mm-hmm. You know, they're broadly true, oftentimes, um, not all the way across the board ever. But you know, I think I think the biggest one that I do think is true uh, that has kind of come about is the entitled generation. You know, you've heard okay. even heard the millennial generation called the entitled generation. Right on. Um, and and I think that's absolutely legitimate. Um, you know, we grew up in a time where a lot of our parents were saying, "I don't want them to grow up like I did. Mm-hmm. Um, I want them to have more than I did." And and it it was it was it was came from a good place. But I think that that led to some of our entitlement. Not not that I'm trying to push it off on my mom and daddy. Yeah. Um, but but you know, I think that kind of that kind of led to some of that. And so you know, as as we've gotten older, um, so give me an example of what that looked like in in say a typical childhood or your childhood. Again, not to pick on anybody's mom or dad, but like sure. what what does that mean? It means you get an allowance, but you don't have to do any work. Or what what's the genesis of that? Well, actually, uh, you know, I, I actually talk about in a book I wrote a couple of years ago about the first time I was probably. I don't know, 12, 13, the first time I remember my mom telling me no when we went to Walmart and I wanted a wow. toy. And, um, you know, and I pitched a fit because I had never, never heard this word. <laughs> 12 or no. 13, you had your three-year-old temper tantrum? <laughs> yeah, I mean, pretty much. I mean, it was, it was, it was, it was, it was, it was crazy. And, and I think that's trans, that's, that's transferred to, um, you know, to getting a job. It's come to filling out, you know, when we were filling out college applications, stuff like that, we weren't used to hearing the word no. And so we've kind of got this entitled mindset. And, 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 the, and the unfortunate thing is that from that comes a point of, well, I don't have to do anything to get anything. Um, wow. And so we're, we're having to we're having to overcome that a little bit, and I think that's that's a legitimate that's a legitimate stereotype. Of course, not all the way across the board. Hmm. Um, there there's a lot of millennials out there that, who had nothing growing up and have had to fight for everything. And yeah. uh, but and another one is the impatient thing. Uh, of course, you know I, I, I consider myself fairly impatient. Uh, right. I'm not a not a, not a well, very me too, and I'm not so. a millennial. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But 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 there are generational characteristics. I mean, you guys didn't invent impatience, but tell me tell me about impatience. Why 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 is your generation impatient? Well, I mean, actually, uh, you know, if, if you think about the time period we're growing up in, I mean. I turned on my TV just a few minutes ago and I had, I watched a documentary about the Ringling Brothers Barnum and Bailey Circus. And I didn't have to go to the video store to get that. I didn't have nope. to, to wait on anything. I, I turned my TV on, flipped on a flip a switch and I immediately had it. Um, and it's been like that much of our lives when it comes to even things like microwaves. And I know those, those were a few, that was a couple of generations ahead of me, but, uh, but we've never known necessarily having to wait for a whole lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, even when it comes to travel, a lot of times we don't have to wait very much, and so, um, so that, that's kind of caused this impatience. And um, unfortunately, for for those of us that have um, aspirations of being leaders and are leaders, uh, patience is a key key ingredient to that. Um, uh, especially when it comes to patience with people. Uh, and so, uh, so you know, that, that's that's one of those that that I think is legitimate. Um, but I also think that as we get older and get more responsibility. Um, we're going to learn how to be patient with the right things. You know, that's really interesting. You mentioned travel. Um, we did not travel much. So I'm a Gen Xer, barely. I'm I'm like on the old age, the old side of, of the Gen Xers. And I remember I was on an airplane once when I was 12. And the next mm-hmm. time I flew anywhere uh, was for my honeymoon. Wow. Like that was it. It was the second time in my life on an airplane. And now, you know, so many kids are like, they got frequent flyer miles at like eight or whatever. So... Yeah, even if you think about things like shipping, I mean, yeah, you know, we don't have to wait on anything anymore. I have, I have Prime. I, I get it in two days. I don't have to pay for anything. Yep, me too. I don't have to pay any extra for it. So, you know, stuff like that's kind of contributed to okay. that. Okay, so uh, that's good. So instant entitlement. What are some other characteristics that you would say? Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's us. Um, you know, one of them that I think is a positive thing or can be a positive thing is I think there's this um, characteristic that that we like to um, that we like to come together and support causes. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, if you think about to, you know, a natural disaster hits, a lot of times it's the millennial community that's coming together to, to fix things. We like to, um, we, we enjoy serving in community. Uh, I think, yeah. I think widely we are looking for community. I think, you know, social networking kind of, kind of proves that. And I do believe community, community can happen in that aspect. Um, I think that's absolutely legitimate. I think there's more to it than that, but I think that's a great place to start. And so we're, we're kind of community minded people. And mm-hmm. so, you know, I, th- I think that's a legitimate stereotype, and I think it can actually be used for good and good for the church, by the way. Absolutely. Do you? I mean, that's very consistent. That's very on mission for the Christian church. Right. But do you trace that to like daycare and being raised communally, or do you have like a, like a theory behind that personally? I've heard different theories behind it. 
You know, I, I, I don't. I, I don't necessarily. Um, I couldn't necessarily pinpoint where that where that necessarily comes from. Um, you know, I, I think the, the the daycare thing probably does have some have some truth to it. You know, a lot of us were were put in daycare earlier because both of our parents started working. Uh, mm-hmm. That was something that a generation before that didn't necessarily happen. Um, and so maybe, maybe that is a starting point. That's a good point. Yeah, I don't know. I have a theory. It's always interesting. Sure. All right. Any other characteristics that you'd say are true or like, eh, no, not true at all? Uh, I think this, um, one of the things that, that, that I'm big on and, and, and I'm sure that will come up again is, is um, the millennial generation can be very dishonoring, I think, to, mm-hmm. um, to, to uh, previous generations. And, and by that, I mean, you know, sometimes we don't uh, accept correction very well. Um, and so, uh, and sometimes we almost look down on someone because they're, because of their life's experience when, um, you know, when we should honor them. And, um, I think that's something that's close to God's heart. And that's something that clo- that's close to my heart as I talk to young leaders is, is I want us to, I want us to be a generation of honor, even though a lot of times we're not considered that. Right. So, you know, that, that's, that's interesting because I've talked about this a little bit on the podcast, but, um, like. Uh, I, I am surprised when I was 25 or 29, I, I didn't have a lot of time for anybody over 40. It was like, don't tell me yeah. your life story. Don't tell me that. So I would say I was probably more dishonoring than honoring. And even if I was honoring publicly, I was probably dishonoring hmm. privately. But what surprised me is how many uh, 20-somethings or early 30s are genuinely open to being in community with people my age. And so, for example, last night, our community group had its third meeting and it's my wife and I, both of whom are in our early fifties and we are around our community group and they're all like between 20. Actually, it's funny. One, one, one couple was both of them were born in 93 and or 92, <laughs> 92. Wow. And so it's kind of like, wow, you really could be our kids, but like they want to be in community with us. Is that typical or is that abnormal? I don't think that's necessarily um, abnormal uh, mm. for that community. Um, really, what the honor that I'm talking to, is, uh, talking about, is more of a, a superior um, kind of honor. Like we're um, better. We figured like, like, it out. Uh, well, well, like if, if you're my superior, so if you're my boss or something oh, like okay, that. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, I think a lot of times in, in that area, we um, we can tend to be dishonoring. Um, but yeah, I mean, dishonor isn't something that's popped up in the millennial generation. I mean, that's been around for yeah. been around for a long yeah. time. But it's characteristic. Anything else that comes to mind when you think about stereotypes? Uh, no, I think I think those are the those are the big ones that I think um, as a generation we really need to really need to work on or, or, or capitalize on yeah. an aspect to the community thing. In a previous episode of this podcast, episode sixty nine, Hayden Shaw uh, argued that your generation, millennials, he's not a millennial, is behaving like it is because adulthood is delayed now almost until age thirty, and then once you're thirty, his argument goes, you'll become much more like other generations, previous generations. Any thoughts on that? I mean, you're almost thirty, right? You'll, you'll be yeah. thirty soon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I think there's, I think there's some truth to that. Uh, I, I wouldn't completely, completely disagree with that. I mean, if no matter what study you look at, um, pretty much across the board, they're talking about how millennials are getting married later and uh, mm-hmm. kind of starting life later. And so, I, mean, I, I think that I think that's true. They're they're moving out of their parents later. Um, it's it's not not extremely untypical to find a 25, 26 year old living with their parents because they're trying to save money, especially in the generation that we kind of got our career starts in, um, with the, uh, with the recession and stuff. So we're trying to save money, trying to, um, trying to get ahead a little bit. So they're moving out later. And, um, so, I mean, I think there's, I think there's a lot of truth to that. If you, if you only consider, if you only consider the, the financial and the family aspects of it. But mm-hmm. I mean, there's, there's things that, that are in our generation that are completely different from the, from the previous generations. For example, um, uh, well, I mean, technology, yeah. uh, technology has changed. And so, I mean, I think the, the lives that we kind of have built around technology, um, those are, that's going to be a change that's going to happen well beyond our thirties. Uh, the way we consume, uh, information, is going to is going to continue to last on no matter you know if we're thirty five or forty five or uh, you know we're going to continue to consume information differently than previous generations which which kind of changes how what we do with that information yeah that's a good point so even if you end up in the suburban home with a minivan at some point because you now have three kids or whatever yeah you're still going to have a different worldview perhaps than somebody who's ten years your senior sure and I mean you know and, and if you get back to 
to our origination, our, our parents, I mean, our parents still raised us differently than, than their parents raised them. Right. Um, you know, we talked about a little bit earlier, we talked about entitlement. Um, you know, that, that stuff is still going to, still going to be with me even when I'm past 30. Um, I'm still going to be, have been raised in a certain, in a certain manner. Um, a lot of parents wanted their, their kids to have more choices. And so I'm going to continue to kind of attack life or live life with that mindset and that worldview. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. So when you look, and I know it's dangerous, every generation is more complex than, than just, you know, one stereotype or one characteristic. But, you know, as best you can, there are meaningful differences between boomers and Gen Xers and, and, and millennials. So what would you say some of the main challenges you see, because you lead millennials, I mean, you're, you're interacting with more than just yourself. You, sure. but, but what are some of the challenges you would say if you're 20, 30, 32 are, are facing your generation right now? When you look out at it, the world, how do you see it? Well, I mean, you know, of course there's the obvious ones, um, kind of the, the world, uh, as we know it now, the, 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 the happenings that are going on in the world. And if, of course, as, as, as the church and as a, as a church leader and as a pastor, that stuff, um, certainly concerns me. And I certainly mm-hmm. look at that. Uh, but I, th- I think one of the things that I think we as a generation are really good at talking. Um, and keep it, keep in mind though, that every generation that comes along, somebody says this, this is, this is either the worst generation yet, or this is the best generation yet. I mean, that always happens, but we, as a generation, I feel like we're really good at, at talking. We're really good at, at dreaming, but a lot of times we're not very good at doing. And I think a lot of that goes back to that entitlement mindset. And so even when it comes to our willingness to serve in community, a lot of times we like the idea of serving in community better than actually serving in community. Um, and so I, I see that, um, I see that as, as, that could be a that could be a serious thing if 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 we as as leaders, especially church leaders, no matter what we're leading, but if we never take those steps after we've made the commitment, um, then that could, that could be an issue. I have I have plenty of friends who are who are really good at at uh, talking about organizing things, but mm-hmm. when it comes to organizing them, it never really gets done. Now, some of that could be my Type A personality, and so that's just the way I view it. Right. Um, but but I really do think we have to we have to become more than just thinkers and talkers, but we have to become doers. Okay, so you wrote a book a couple of years ago where you kind of challenged millennials, didn't you? I did a and, little bit, yeah. and you called you called millennials out. So walk us through that. What did you call them out on? Well, I, I certainly, uh, you know, I certainly made the point from the beginning that um, that millennials have a world of potential inside of them. Uh, I, and and a world of potential outside of them, a world of potential change that they can make outside of mm-hmm. them. Um, and so, you know, I, I, I kind of set it up like the fact that uh, we're going to be transitioning a lot of organizations, especially churches, over the next 10 years. Um, the the modern contemporary church boom that happened uh, many years ago at this point, um, a lot of those senior leaders are going to be retiring. They're going to be stepping out. They're going to be making transitions. And we as a generation, we have to be willing to step up because we're going to be the only choice. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, I just kind of called out uh, eight specific things that I thought that we as a generation um, kind of got a bad rap for and how we can overcome those. And, and, so, and they're deserved, a deserved bad rap in your view, right? Yeah. To yeah, some yeah. extent. Yeah, to some extent at least. Um, and so basically I kind of outlined why we have an, like, say, entitlement mindset, mm-hmm. why we have an entitled mindset, what that means, and how we can move to uh, an honoring mindset. Um, one of the one of the biggest ones that that, that I personally uh, enjoyed writing in the book is unreliable to consistent, and that's that's mm. kind of goes along with that doing kind of thing. So let's talk about unreliable to consistent because I mean I sit down. I'm I'm a defender of millennials. We have a lot of millennials on our Thank team, you. and I I just <laughs> think they're great. But sometimes I go out with you know business people or church leaders my age, and it, it can easily become a gripe fest about. You know, people under 30 who can't type, don't, don't spell check, they're unreliable, they don't show up when they said they're going to, their alarm, you know, slept through their alarm, and they're just frustrated, and they don't get them. I said, yeah, but sometimes you get your best ideas, and a lot of that stuff's coachable. Like, go through some of the frustration points that you see with your own generation. So how do you, how do you deal with, like, unreliable? How do, how do you get out of being unreliable? Well, I mean, I think you have to you have to kind of put some guardrails in your life. Um, one of the things that 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 I love, and I guess it's maybe kind of a kind of something a little nerdy, but I love productivity. Um, yeah. And so, you know, that's one of those things that 
you have to set up a system. Anything that's broken needs a better system. Hmm. Um, and so, uh, you know, you have to kind of set up a system. And, and you know, I, one of the things I make in, in, one of the arguments I make in the book is that we can all do things once. Um, if I want to lose weight, I can, I can eat a salad once. I can, <laughs> I can go to the gym once. Um, but what really separates the people that get the job done is the consistency in their productivity, whether it's getting something done or, or their consistency in their exercise routine or their diet. It's, it's, it's consistency over a period of time that really causes change. And hmm. if we're gonna if we're gonna be the millennial leaders that we need to be, we're gonna have to be able to do things consistently. And let's take the, uh, the vision that I would have for uh, a, a business. If I don't attack that vision consistently from from basically the same angle day after day after day, then I'm never gonna I'm never gonna reach that. I'm never gonna get there. I'm gonna be hmm. pushing in different directions, and it's never gonna go um, to the vision that, um, that that I that I wanted it to get to. And so we have to be we have to we have to become people that 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 are consistent in their behavior and their work ethic um, and in the things that they do. We don't need to start and, and, and stop when it gets a little difficult or stop when, when, when we've, we've decided we wanted to do something else. So is that like self-discipline? Is that what you're trying to describe to some yeah, extent? Yeah, yeah, a little bit, just to some extent. Um, and, 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 you know, that may be one of those stereotypes too that, that we need to overcome. Hmm. No, that's good. And I mean, at 29, you're 29, right? You're in charge of a campus of 1,400 people. That's that's a lot of responsibility. Sure. You, uh, leaders, and, and I trust your senior pastor is not a millennial at this point. Is no, he's true? not. No, no, he's not. But he saw a millennial and said, okay, this guy can handle it. This guy can take it. And, he did. Uh, and that's great. That's great. So you would say you're an A-type. Are A-types underrepresented in millennials? I would think so. Really, yeah, if I had to talk, well, and at the same time, I mean, I, I'm not, I'm not someone that is um, completely devoid of all creativity either. Um, you know, I, I, I can think in those terms as well. Um, but yeah, I, I certainly, um, certainly would consider myself a dominant A type. Yeah. So help me understand this then. Uh, when when you talk to your friends, when you talk to your peers, people you grew up with, people you connect with through your website, your podcast, that sort of thing, other millennials, you look at A types in the previous generation. What's your critique of older A-types? Personally? Yeah, go um, ahead. Uh, personally, when, when working with millennials, one of the, the biggest things that I see, and, and, and I even see it from, from people that I'm really close to, um, one of the things that frustrates them, especially the A-types, is a time schedule. I think that's, um, even my A-typeness doesn't, adhere to my, to a time schedule as much as theirs does. Um, and I think that's one of the things we're seeing more and more um, in, in the business world too, are bosses and organizations given more freedom of, with a time schedule. Okay, so uh, when you say time schedule, help me drill down, because I would be an A-type that's not a millennial. So mm -hmm. I'm just asking you, help me look in the mirror. What do you see? Well, if, if, if you want me to, if, if you have a job for me to get done mm -hmm. and you think it's best that I get there at eight o'clock to do it, but my time schedule and the way that I think does it best in the evenings, let me do it in the evenings. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And, and so I think, I think it's really easy, especially, um, especially uh, in, in the church that doesn't have to have a time schedule. It's really easy for us to put everybody in the same box and say, these, yeah. are, these are your office hours, or this is when it has to get done, or this is when we have to have these meetings. But as millennials, we want more freedom than that. Gotcha. And, um, and it's and, different and, than running a store, right? If you're running a store, if it opens at 8 a.m. or 10 a.m., you have to be there at 8 a.m. or 10 a.m. to open it. But you're right. saying where there's freedom, give us freedom. Am right. I hearing you yeah. right? Yes, absolutely. Okay. And so so when an A-type person says, look, I, I'm the first guy in the office 7 a.m. every day. I just want everyone to be here by 9 sharp, blah, blah, blah. Nobody leaves till 5. That drives you crazy. Yes. yes. Maybe I'm a millennial. That drives me crazy, too. I've always been like, give me as much freedom as possible. I just, I don't want exactly. to be bound down. Exactly. And, and, and you know, mm -hmm. and, and maybe that does sound like I'm, I'm like, we're talking out of both sides of our mouth because I'm saying you got to be consistent, but also give us some freedom. Um, but a lot of that's leading myself when it comes to consistency. But, right. but, if, but, but, but give me, give me some freedom in, in how I get it done. One of the conversations we've had with younger leaders at Conexus Church is, Process versus outcome, too. So this isn't in the notes, but yes. I thought this could be a, a, a fun thing. So I didn't have language for this at first, but I'd be like, you know, okay, 
we need to get X done um, and have, have you got an appointment with, let, let's just pick scheduling. You know, have you, have you got me a time with, uh, you know, Jason down the road? It's like, well, I called him three times. No, no, no. Have you got me an appointment with Jason down the road yet sometime in the next month? It's like, well, you know, I called him and, and he hasn't gotten back to me. And I'm kind of like, okay, but the outcome I need is I need an right. appointment with him. So if you need to email him, if you need to go to his office, if you need to get his cell phone number, like whatever you need to do, just do it to get there. Or right. it's like, did you see all these typos in, you know, the worship graphics for the weekend? And the answer would be, well, I proofed them. No, no, no. Did you see all the typos in the worship? You see what I mean? I call that outcome versus process, process versus outcome. And it seems to me like millennials are like, I did what, what I was supposed to do. I called them three times. Uh, I proofed it, you know, but the outcome is still, I don't have the meeting or, or the worship graphics are still a mess. Any comment on that? Is that typical of your generation or? I, I think that's interesting because yeah. um, as a millennial, I would rather you care about the end result rather than the process. Oh, that's um, good to know. Because that's what I care about. I'm like, yeah, um, hey, dude, I, I, if you can I, I, get this done in three minutes as opposed to three hours, more power to you. Yeah, in, in my experience, those are those are the people that really lead millennials well are the ones that care about the outcome. I mean, that's a, that's, hmm. that's a little bit what I was talking about with the schedule. I mean, it, as long as I get the outcome, let me do it the way I, the way I want to do it. Yeah. yeah. Um, and and yeah, I mean, I, I think that's I think that's 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 a little unique that that's your situation. What 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 are some other things that drive you nuts about the way Gen Xers or Boomers lead? You said the A type that insists on a process rather than the outcome, you know, time scheduling. Anything else that springs to mind? Um, authority. Authority versus um, influence. I, mm. I think it, it, it is a big thing. Um, you know, it, the best leaders have influence before they have authority, I think, a lot of times. And so yeah. they, they kind of build they build an influence with, with, with a group of people before they get the authority to do a lot with it. Um, as a leader of, of millennials, the worst thing you can do is let us build influence and never give us any authority to, to do it. There has to be that authority place that comes into place because once we have the influence, those the, those that are little that are higher caliber, I believe, that unless they have the authority to make a change, they're eventually going to go somewhere else and influence people where where they'll they'll eventually get the authority. Um, and in other words, they don't want to have the influence in the ear of a lot of people and then not be able to do anything with it, not be right. able to, to initiate any kind of change. Um, because you can only go so far on influence with before you have to before you butt up heads with with a system or with a rule that you can't get past unless you have the authority. So don't just don't just give millennials projects, but give them the the influence and the or give them the authority to actually capitalize on those projects. No, that's a good word. Don't just get them around the table, but but right. actually give them decision making ability. Yeah, and they, and they see through that so often, especially the ones that that, that are actually. The, the ones that you want on your team in the future the most, mm. they'll, they're, they're going to see through that. And, and the thing that, that we both know about leaders is if you don't give them a place to lead, they'll find somewhere to do it. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, give Good them point, the authority Jonathan. to do what they need to do. Don't just have them around the table because you feel like you need a younger voice because you feel like you need to say that you listen to the young people. Right. Right. That's good. Now, now is there, can you give too much authority? At too Absolutely. young an age? Absolutely. All right. Yeah. Uh, you, you can, you can out authority that, that influence, I think. <laughs> um, but yeah, let, let them build the influence first, but then give them, give them the authority, but you're going to have to be smart enough to know how much to give them and when to give it. That's, that's a decent rule of thumb, you know, that authority and influence should sort of do a dance together. Yeah. And if this person has more and more influence and a greater and greater track record, they get greater and greater authority as opposed to saying you're 22, you're in charge of everything. Don't blow it. Yeah. You know, which can be a big mistake. On the other hand, I think probably there are leaders who, you know, and, and, and I don't know whether what Hayden Shaw would say about this or what you would say about this, but, you know, I turned 50 under a year ago. And, uh, you know, I still think of myself as young. I'm sure not other people do, but, you know, there was a day when, you know, you were 50, your hair was white, you know, you walked with a walker and that was sort of it. I feel better than when I was 30. And so I think there's this sort of false sense of youth in our culture that hmm. says, yeah, I'm 45, but I'm still young. But you realize that some of the 25-year-olds around the table, you can almost be their father. And so, you know, it's time to give them authority. It's time to give them responsibility and not hang on to it until, you know, you really are behind a walker and can't lead in it anymore. Exactly. And, you know, if, if you don't, ha if you don't, 
if you don't start, at my estimation at least, being the young guy, but if you don't start to hand it off when you do still feel a little young, by the time you're old enough to realize that you needed to hand it off, you don't have a lot to give them. No, so and, and, and all, the, them, all the good leaders are early. gone by then yeah, too. Invest in them early because yeah. – because we're, we are, we are a, a loyal generation for the most part. And so, you know, in, invest early. Yeah, say more about that. You are a loyal generation. If you see something worth following, you follow. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, especially, uh, at, least, at least personally, um, you know, when someone invests in me, and, and that does go back to we need, we need to be more, we need to be honoring. Um, but when somebody invests in me, I, I want to invest in them back. Um, you right. know, I, I think, even take it to Facebook. If you like my photo, I'm gonna like yours better. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> but, but but yeah, I, th- I think we overall are a loyalty, a loyal generation. Look at restaurants we go to. We, we'll, we'll frequent them for a long time um, because I think we're we're loyal. No, that's good to know. And I've actually experienced that too. I've experienced a lot of personal loyalty from millennials, which yeah, is so. which is great. Which is great. Okay, what what do you admire most? We talked about critiques and tension points, but what do you admire most in in your elders, Gen Xers and Boomers. For me personally, and 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 once again, it's hard to speak for the entire generation. Of course, yeah. But for for me personally, the thing that I most admire, especially the more experience that I get, is the hard knock experience that the previous generations have. The intelligence and the wisdom that comes from just doing it. Um, is is the thing that I admire the most. And I feel like a lot of times in my day to day leadership capability or my capacity that's the thing that i'm often most often missing is just the this this worked before or this didn't work before just kind of the the school of hard knocks a little bit um and and so that's that's what i admire and you know of course those things only come through scars and scars only come through battle um and so we kind of have to we have to go through those um but for me that that, that's what I, i admire the most just the the experience of wiser and older people that's cool. You know, Jonathan, I, I would say, reflecting on a few years now blogging and a year and a half of this podcast, when I talk to younger leaders, that's probably one of the greatest paybacks for me personally. It's like, gosh, if I could save you five years here, here's the yeah. shortcut. Here's the, like, you know, you can do it the hard way if you want to, but I did it the hard way. And so here's what I learned. And I find a really eager audience in younger leaders who, who actually rather than like, ah, you don't know what you're talking about are like, wow, thank you so much. And, and that, 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 that makes me feel really good. Like I'm really grateful for that. Yeah. And I think that's a worthwhile investment, of Mm -hmm. course. And, um, the, the more, the quicker we can get those things out of the way, the, f- the more that we can, we can learn the other things as well. Wow. Let's uh, shift gears a little bit in, in the time that we've got left and talk about the church. So, you know, you lead a, a large and influential church in your region. I mean, I think it's large by pretty much any standard. 1,400 people is a lot of people. How do you see the church differently as a millennial? You personally, you for your generation, what are, what are some of the characteristics? So much has been written about it. And, um, you know, David Kinnaman has done a ton of great research on it. I had him on in episode 24. I'd just love to hear from you what you see as some differences in the church. I view church more as, as a family, as a community. Um, I think, uh, and, I, and I think that's probably pretty much a standard across the board for millennials. Uh, I think there was, there was this idea about 20 years ago or so that something needed to change and it got, it got bigger um, and it got, um, it got more showy. Mm. Uh, it got more, um, let's come, let's, let's come together in a, in a big crowd. Um, but I feel like my generation's pulling that back a little bit. I think we still have to be, we, we still enjoyed being wowed by the show a little bit, yeah. but we want there to be authenticity and community in there. And so I think, you know, as, as we move forward, I think uh, we're going to see church at least not, if it doesn't, if the local church doesn't get smaller, it's going to feel smaller. Yeah. Um, that's a good way to think about it. You know, I, I think I think we have to have that. Like like I said, the the community aspect is something that our generation so values. You know, I I think we have to provide people with more on ramps for that. I think as as church leaders, we have to provide more on ramps for people to create to get into community, um, to kind of, you know, to 
shut that back door, so to speak. The more the more we can tie them into to, to smaller crowds, especially being larger churches, the, the, the more we're going to hold those people in community. So we have to create more community opportunities. Um, one of the things that I, I believe is going to pop up is we have this great small group uh, mentality and environment within the church, especially within, within um, our church context. Uh, uh, a lot of times, I think we're going to see small groups move more to a serving kind of group. People that mm. serve together are going to, that's where we're going to get a bulk of our community as the church, rather than just sitting around studying the Bible. There's going to be that, but the basis of it, the backbone of it, it's going to be more service minded. Gosh, you know, it's it's as though you've been sitting around our leadership table at Connexus Church for the last year or two, because that's exactly some of the things we're talking about for the future of our church. It's like, mm-hmm. we have gotten Smart. bigger. But we need to get smaller. We need to be more uh, community-oriented. And although it's almost heresy in some circles, I would say if people are saying, look, should I serve or should I get into a group? I'm almost at the point in my leadership where I'm like, you know what, just serve. And if you only have room for one, just serve. I think you will go further faster. I think you will grow in your faith more. I think you will connect with other people, even organically. And it's not that we don't value community groups. We incredibly (laughs) value community groups. We want everyone to be in there. But... I think there is something right now, I don't know, in the water supply, in our culture, just about serving that really, really makes a difference. And I love seeing, you know, people of all generations serve, but there's something about um, serving and connecting with millennials that just go hand in hand. Yeah, and I think as a church, we're going to have to kind of take a step back and reevaluate and even redefine um, what community looks like within the local church. Okay, Um, say more about that. What, what, how do you think it would change? Well, a lot of us are just counting small group numbers for community groups and yeah. for how many people are in community. And I think we're going to have to start. Uh, we're going to have to start counting people that are that are serving. We're going to try to figure out. Um, I think there's a lot of people in our churches that are doing things with people from our churches, but we don't know about it. And so we're going to have to try to put some handles on that so that we can get pe- more people plugged into that. And so that not so that we can control it, but so that we can we can know it and we can help those people and we can and invest celebrate in those it. Exactly. Yeah, and, we have a half dozen them. people who run charitable not for profits out of our church that are not connected to our church and. Mm-hmm. A long time ago, we gave up the thing of what's well, got to have a Connexus stamp on it, or you know, it's not real if it doesn't come from us. And you know, hopefully, we 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 become a community of like micro entrepreneurs and micro service people right. and micro global missions people who are doing their own thing, who happen to worship under one roof and be part of a community that's on mission to make an impact in our community as well. Yeah, absolutely. Is that is that the sort of thing you're thinking? Yes, about? yes, yes. Wow. Yes, exactly. Okay, that's cool. How else do you see the church differently? What about let let, let me ask you specifically about music and about the weekend service <laughs> and the weekend experience. What what's what's your pulse on that? Well, the cliche word is one that I threw out earlier: authenticity. Yeah. Um, you know, that's I don't even know how much meaning that word has anymore. We've thrown <laughs> it around so much. But as long I, as it's I authentic think, authenticity, I'm sure that's, fine. that's right. Yeah. We're going to just gonna add the word authentic in front of authenticity and make it even better. But, <laughs> uh, but, I, but I do think there's some legitimacy to that. I think, I think we have to, we we have to, we have to authenticate the gospel through our lives and through our Sunday morning services. I think um, us, us as millennials, we've grown up with YouTube. We've grown up uh, with uh, the one click of a button, we can hear great music or we can see a great concert that's almost like we're there. And so we've kind of gone from this mentality of come, let us impress you. We have to go from this mentality of come, let us impress you to come look at what God can do, um, even in our Sunday morning services. And so, you know, I I really feel like that's like, like that's part of it. As far as worship music goes, one of the things I've noticed, and, and I'm, I'm sure that I'm not the only one that's talked about this. I actually had a conversation with a millennial friend yesterday. Um, one of the things that I've noticed is I think worship music as a whole is getting more theological. Hmm. Um, and it's it's kind of gone from, um, I, I, I don't want to use the word deeper and shallow, um, but it's 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 almost it's it, it seems to be making this turn to um, to more theological the, uh, to more theological, which you know if we go back to to hymns and those sort of things, those were a huge part of the the, the theological training of the church. And I think I think we're seeing a we're seeing a shift back to that a little bit, and just in a in a, in a new generation. I agree. I mean, I think Dan Kimball years ago called it ancient future that that mm-hmm. sort of thing. Yeah. There's more yes. of that, more of that for sure. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's cool. Anything else you see in the church? 
Um, We're just you know, all I, taking notes, Jonathan. Not, nothing that I could, nothing that I can, I can pinpoint in a podcast. Okay. Um, you know, you know, I mean, I, I think it's obviously going to change. I mean, we see, the, the, you know, we see, you see house churches, you see that sort of thing. I, I don't know that that's ever going to necessarily be the norm in our lifetime. Mm-hmm. I, I don't, I don't know. I mean, you know, I guess it depends on where the rest of our world goes and, yeah. and, and what's accepted and what's, what's even legal, depending on where you are. I mean, <laughs> yeah. you know, I mean, and so I, I think. We, we could see some of that. We could see that that really take off. I think it has in some places, but it hasn't, uh, at least uh, not in the South where I am. Um, and so, you know, some of that stuff could could, could certainly happen. Um, but those are, those are the two really big ones as I think about that question that, that, that come to mind. When you look ahead and you're 39, not 29, and some of your predecessors now, millennials, would be in their mid-40s at this point, and you guys and women are running the church How's it going to be different? Like when you look at a couple of broad watermarks or stamps that you would go, you know, hey, it's still going to be the gospel. It's still going to be Jesus. We're still going to gather in some way. But what would you say could be different? What would be a couple of hallmarks that you would go, yeah, it's going to, this is how I think it's going to feel different. You know, it, once once again, it's, it's hard to say. I keep I keep coming back to um, to the authenticity uh, idea and the community, Look, for the community record, aspect. I think it's huge. I've written yeah. about it a lot. We talk to our team all the time about it. Like people have amazing fake detectors. And if they detect any insincerity in you at all, you're just done. Like, I yeah, agree. I mean, so I'm with you. I'm with you. One of the things that, that I particularly see is, is the expression of worship. I, um, I, I feel like, um, and, and maybe it's just, maybe it's just my view as, um, as a white Southern Baptist boy who, who is in a, in a, in a multi-ethnic church now, but I, I see my generation as being a little more expressive in their faith. Okay. Um, uh, you, you know, not that, not that, uh, every church is going to be a charismatic church in 10 years. Um, but I think there's going to be new ways to express that. Um, and, and that goes back to that authenticity thing. I mean, you know, they can see right through fake worship, but they want to be able to express themselves the way they express themselves. Um, and so I think we're going to see some of that change. And, and I think um, we're going to have even more opportunity for, for community moving forward. Okay, cool. That's helpful. So if you're a millennial looking to make an impact, what are two or three things you can focus on right now to make progress? Well, those are, those are, that's, that, that was really the idea of, of the book. It's funny, it's funny you asked that. Yeah. Um, you know, no, go and, ahead. Tell us the title too. And and then uh, next up, eight next simple up. shifts, great or eight shifts, great young leaders make. Yep. And um, you know, I keep coming back to that consistency idea. Um, become a person, become a disciplined, become a self-disciplined person that can do things consistently. Not that you're boring, but I think the more that I read, the more that I read scripture, and the more that I look at the character of God, the more that I see that He honors the honors the faithful and the consistent. Mm-hmm. He He longs for our faithfulness. Um, and so, you know, be faithful, be consistent and, and be honoring. That's, that's, that's one of those things that just keeps ringing in my head um, is be, be honoring because honor comes back around. I mean, I think if we all talk about the story of, of Saul and David when it comes to honor, um, yeah. but, but be an honoring person, honor those, honor those above you. Cause I really do believe that that comes back around. That's a good word. You- and consistency really makes a difference. I have two sons. I'm by no means a perfect parent by any stretch, but you know, as they finish up university and move into the workforce, I'm amazed to hear from their employers. Like they just do what they said they were going to do when they said they were going to do it. They don't miss deadlines, you know, all that stuff. And, and they're just like, wow, these kids actually deliver. And, and that as a boss, as a leader, oh my goodness, like I'm, I'm craving that. For anybody, I don't care whether you're yeah. 60 years old or whether you're 21. I, you just, you know, do what you said. I always tell my kids, do what you said you were going to do when you said you were going to do it, and you'll be ahead of 99% of the population. It's yeah, well, we, we have a uh, we have a, a 21-month-old, and um, one of the things that he loves to do is throw stuff. Hmm. And so, you know, I'm always telling him, son, you can't throw anything unless it's a ball. All you can, th- all you can throw is a ball. Well, the other day, I, I was sitting um, at the table and I, and I threw some, tried to throw something in the trash or something and he looked right at me. <laughs> and, and, and that word consistency just rang through my head. Oh, man. Uh, um, you know, that, that's, that's, that's when you know you've missed the mark. Owned, owned. Okay, yeah. if you're an older leader, a non-millennial, uh, what are a couple things you could focus on to make a bigger difference in how you lead millennials? Uh, first off, I, w- I would say is know that your way isn't the only way. Mm. Um, 
you know, and I think that's that's just a leadership principle yeah. overall is just the way you, that you do things and it isn't necessarily the right way. It's, it's not the wrong way because it gets the job done, but know that there's other ways to get it done. Um, and millennials are often find the other way if there is one. It's <laughs> uh, because they kind of pave pave their own path. Um, another one is is give choices. I think as as a millennial generation, we're one, we're one that likes choices. Um, we like to be able to 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 to, to pick and choose um, how we do things, what we do. Um, we we like to to have input. Um, the, the authority thing. Uh, don't be afraid to to relinquish some authority to those that you believe that deserve it. Um, and one of the one of the biggest things that I see a lot of millennial leaders or, or a lot of leaders that are leading millennials not do is trust them. Mm. Um, you know, there, there's, a, there's a, there's a principle at work there that, that we need to trust until they give us a reason not to. Um, and I, so often, um, uh, we, even, even those that, that we've put in some, in a, in a position of some authority, leaders just don't trust them. And so, yeah. you know, Give them, give them the opportunity to prove that they can't be trusted. Trust them. Let them, let them prove what they can do, or let them disprove who they are. And so, trust them, uh, and also don't be afraid to discipline them. Um, hmm. If if they need it, don't be afraid to. I, I, like I said, that goes back to that authenticity thing. Um, I would much rather hear the truth from you than you try to uh, do some sort of something to correct me. In a in, in in kind of a passive aggressive way, just tell me if I did something wrong. Um, so those are those are some things that that, that I would definitely recommend um, as as you lead young leaders. But but believe in us. I mean, we can mm. we, we're we're the we're, we we're the future, whether you like it or not. Yeah, so absolutely. At some point, you're going to have to put some trust in us. Believe in us. Don't let us run wild. Don't give us that too much authority. Don't give it to us all at once. But believe in us. Trust us, and let us uh, let it let it let us prove what we can do. This, is, this has been so great. Jonathan, thank you. Good. People thank are going to want to connect with you online. Uh, tell us about where we can find you. Uh, JonathanPearson.net. Uh, I'm at Jonathan Pearson on Twitter. I was an early adopter, so I got my own name. How about that? Awesome. Yeah, yeah I got mine. Uh, well, actually, there's a fake Carrie Newhoff out there, but yeah. So that's when I you know you've made it. Newhoff. Isn't that weird? Yeah. <laughs> um, so anyway, and, and uh, do you still blog at MillennialLeaders.com? Well, it's a, it's 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 just a reposting site, but there's, oh, okay. there's a lot okay. there's a lot of lead, leadership articles out there. Uh, Excellent, and, and Excellent. yeah, it's continually updated. Okay, yeah, because it looked pretty current to me, so that's good. Absolutely, hey, Jonathan. Thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Thank you, man. Man, that was a great conversation. If you want more, you can go to the show notes at kerryneuhoff.com slash episode seventy five. And don't 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 forget to register while you can still get the best rates for Rethink Leadership. It's a premier conference. It's the first time we've ever done this happening in Atlanta, April 27th through 29th. I would love for you to be there because Andy Stanley's going to be there, John Acuff, Reggie Joyner, uh, Brad Lominick, myself, Jeff Henderson, and many, many others. Pete Wilson, he's going to be there. It's TED-style talks, and I think you're really going to enjoy it. Lots of time for conversation, and you're going to meet people who are trying to do what you're trying to do, and you'll have some great conversations with them. So make sure you go to RethinkLeadership.com today to get the best rates and hurry before it's sold out. So uh, I'd love for you to be there and love to meet you in Atlanta at the end of April. In the meantime, we are back next week with a brand new episode. Episode 75 is going to be a lot of fun. I sit down and I have a conversation with Brian Wangler. And he has done the amazing job of taking four churches from near-death experiences to vibrant growth. And he's going to tell us all about it. It's going to be a fascinating episode and conversation. A couple of weeks from now, we got John Burke on the podcast. He wrote one of my all-time favorite books, came out last year, called Imagine Heaven. We have a fascinating conversation about the afterlife and near-death experiences. Perry Noble is on. And then I'm going to do an episode soon with Justin Dean. He was a leader at Mars Hill, and we're going to talk about what happened two years after the sort of dissolution of Mars Hill. So uh, fascinating. The way you make sure you never miss an episode is to subscribe, and you can do that for free on iTunes, Stitcher, or TuneIn Radio. So just go there and hit the subscribe button. And if you would be so kind, leave a review. Man, over like 335 of you have left reviews so far on the US iTunes store. And that's amazing. I read every one of them. They're incredible encouragement and fuel. So just thank you. Hey, we'll talk to you next week. Thanks so much. And I hope our time together today has helped you lead like never before. You've been listening to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast. Join us next time for more insights on leadership, change, and personal growth to help you lead like never before.